Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And we are here today celebrating some good news for the coast. Good news. Uh, yesterday, you may have heard, but there was a big announcement um, by the governor and others that a critical restoration project, the River Reintroduction into Moorpaw Swamp, will be moving forward um, and receiving some funding to actually be constructed. So we're going to talk to our first guest about that. Um, she and her organization have been doing a lot. Um, along with many others, to advocate for this project. Definitely. And then we're going to have a prior guest on um, later in the show to talk about a new project that um, he's been working on with others, looking at some sites of uh, historic and archaeological importance. But first, I have an important question for you, Simone. No, that's not this portion um, of the program. <laughs> I don't know what there's been a debate <laughs> that raging. That is not in the show, Doc. Um, a debate raging Oh, uh, across Twitter and this. elsewhere. And, you know, at first I was kind of surprised because I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, my experience isn't really what's being reflected in Twitter. So I shared my thoughts. But um, I'm curious, you know, as a Terrio who grew up in Homa. Mm, I am. Um, Which, by the way, met another Terrio in Homa. And I'm like, clearly we're cousins. Turns out we're cousins. Oh, that's <laughs> how it usually works. Um, <laughs> or if you don't think you're cousins, you probably are yeah. regardless. Even we if claim you only the good side. So, do the terrios in Homa dip their crawfish? Um, this terrio dips. You dip. I dip. We dip. You dip. Like, um, so I will tell you though, in reading some of the um, the healthy debate, mm-hmm. um, ketchup is so off the table. That's disgusting. Yeah, no. It's just actually disgusting. Go away, Houston. But um, I think um, Tanner McGee. Um, brought up the point that he likes his dip for other things yes. too. So do I. And then Norby, um, Senator, former Senator Shabir chimed in that it's like not every tail, it's every tenth tail. So you, like, it's like a palate cleanser, right? And then for me, we my dad always had the special dip, which was you know it was not just ketchup; it was ketchup yeah. and Creole mustard, yellow mustard, mayo, lemon juice, lean parents, and horseradish. You mix it up, and it's like you know every. Uh, Every mm-hmm. tenth tail, but I loved it on the saltines, mm. you know, See, and, and the potatoes. And the potatoes, yes. yes, yeah, yes. So I think we can agree on that. We'll it's come like a lionese potato or something like that. Well, but all right. So now that I we will got say, th- I'm not a huge fan of like that kind of central North Louisiana where mm. they boil and then they put their seasoning on there. It mm-hmm. makes it makes your fingers dirty and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pro dip. I went to one of those. Yes, but my sp- husband, oh. I married a non dipper. Billy's a non dipper, but yeah. yeah, you've been able to make it work. Well, so far, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited to welcome our next guest on the show, um, Stacy Ortigo, Outreach Coordinator with Louisiana Wildlife Federation. So, Stacy, we have to ask. Let's get this out of the way. Do you dip or not dip? Yeah, absolutely. I dip. Okay. There's, good there's no other way to eat crawfish. All right. So, see, you know, don't. Uh, just assume, just because you see something crazy coming out of Texas that we all... Did you see somebody was like, when I'm in a pinch, I go to um, cane sauce as a good backup? I was like, oh. I remember the first time I had cane sauce, you know. You the same. Um, I was like, oh, this is like dad's crawfish sauce. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it could be a good substitute. Yeah. 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 All right, Stacey, now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> you've been very busy. Yeah, you had a good week, Stacey? What you I been up very, to? Very, very busy week. <laughs> a very busy week. So, um, Stacey, so you've been on the show before, yes? I have, yes. yes. Okay. Why don't you remind folks what you do uh, and tell us a little bit about Louisiana Wildlife Federation, and then we'll share more of the good news. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, so, Louisiana Wildlife Federation is a statewide nonprofit organization that focuses on a pretty wide range of conservation and outdoor recreation issues. Uh, so, a lot of our members are hunters, anglers, birders, you name it, um, any outdoor enthusiasts um, are a lot of the folks that, that support us. 
And in my role as outreach coordinator, I develop and implement advocacy campaigns around conservation issues that affect Louisiana. Uh, So part of that work focuses on coastal restoration and protection and raising awareness of and support support for coastal projects. Uh, So in that role, I also work with the Restore the Mississippi River Delta Coalition uh, with you guys, primarily on outreach. So you had a good day yesterday in championing one of those projects, right? Yes, yes, very good. So tell us kind of about the project. Like, what is Marapaw Swamp? Why is it so important? Uh, Yes, so the river reintroduction into Marapaw Swamp is a freshwater diversion project. Uh, It's going to connect the Mississippi River to Marapaw Swamp. It's a hydrologic restoration project in the state's coastal master plan. Uh, located in St. John, St. James, Livingston, and Ascension Parishes. Uh, so a lot of our work has been focused on Marpaw Swamp in the last few years. So yesterday we were really excited because the Restore Council voted to include this project in its funded priorities list, which results in $130 million to implement the project. So $130 million for 45,000 acres benefit. It sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. And most people know this area, right? I mean, it's a, it used to be a cypress, super low swamp, right? And it's a beautiful place. People are familiar with it for its recreational value too, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's got a lot of um, recreational value that unfortunately has been degrading over the years. Uh, so this project, we're really excited that it's finally getting the attention it deserves, the money it deserves, because this project's been talked about for, you know, about 20 years now. <laughs> and it must so. be pretty incredible. I mean, yeah. you were at the announcement yesterday, um, and I know there were a lot of people who have worked on that project for quite a long time. Um, so what was it like there when it actually was announced that this project would be mo- moving forward and receiving funding? A lot of smiles in the room, a lot of relief. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of folks have been have spent years and years working on this project to get it to where it is today. And although it's you know not completely over yet, it's it's much of what needed to be done uh, is going to be able to happen now with this restore council vote. So there was a lot of good energy in the room, which is nice. Yeah, and you'll be able to keep us posted on the progress, we hope, and then we'll look forward to more great announcements on projects just like that um, that we've been uh, champions for. But I, I have to say, um, Louisiana Wildlife Federation has just totally you know, been stand up on this and have led the way, and it's something that y'all should really, really be proud of. And I hope that you got to have a drink or something last night. <laughs> yes, yes, there was definitely some, some celebrating after a lot of work. But uh, So it's it's been a long time coming, and we're, we're really excited. We focus on this project a lot over the last few years so it's it's nice to see it get to to where it's going and we're looking forward to see this continue and can't wait for a for them to break ground on this it'll be an exciting day so stacy i know i mean it's obviously a day and a week to celebrate but we're still pushing right because we want this project to move forward and in fact um, our organization and louisiana wildlife federation are working to push um, for you know some potential funding and, 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 and that this project be considered as mitigation for a nearby levy project. And that kind of decision lies with the Army Corps of Engineers. So tell us quickly about that and also where people can go if they want to express support for the Morapah uh, diversion so that it can move forward um, as a mitigation option under the Corps' plan. Yeah, so um, while we, we got some great news yesterday, like you said, there's still some work to be done. Uh, so the Corps has released a draft environmental assessment that's currently accepting public comments until March 2nd. Um, 
it was hoped for or kind of expected that this environmental assessment would include this Maurepas um, project as mitigation for the West Shore Lake Pontchartrain levee project. Uh, in doing so, that would help the state save both time and money um, because there's some permitting that otherwise might not have had to been done if it was going to be constructed along with the course project. Uh, it also would save money in doing so because it's using, using it as mitigation would help the state save money on the project, which, as we all know, we need all the help we can get in order to stretch our dollars to do the most good. Uh, so unfortunately, right now, that project is not included in, as an alternative for mitigation for that project. So we're um, working with, you know, you guys and some other groups to really get the public to put some comments into the core before that deadline on March 2nd. So we have, if you go to our website, uh, lawildlifefed, as in federation, .org, uh, we have an action alert that's live now that you can go and very easily send comments. Um, we have all the information there already. It already has the core's email, so you, you literally just have to go in, put your name, and, and shoot the message forward. Um, so you can also find out more information about the project uh, at CPRA's website. It's coastal dot la dot gov forward slash news forward slash Maurepas. So you can get a lot of information about the project. Excellent. And you can get more information about Louisiana Wildlife Federation at our website. Uh, we've also joined the Instagram world this year. So look at you. Yeah. TikTok <laughs> so you is next. <laughs> <laughs> so on Facebook and uh, Instagram, you can find us at Louisiana Wildlife Federation. We're also on Twitter at LA Wildlife. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for all that information, Stacy. We certainly want to give a shout out uh, to CPRA as well. Check out their social media. They had a beautiful video um, that they put together for the uh, Maurepas project. And if it weren't for them continuously push pushing at the Restore Council, uh, they wouldn't have been able to secure such a big project. But they do it with the support of great organizations like Louisiana Wildlife Federation. So thank you, Stacey. We'll have you back on soon. I know y'all never stop over there. I'm sure y'all got some other cool things planned. We'll have you on in the future, and we'll talk about it then. All right. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Thanks, thanks Stacey. Stacey. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. 
Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm a dipper, Simone Malaz, with Restore Retreat. <laughs> That'll have to be your, your tagline for the next <laughs> week or so. Um, well, it is time for our Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, and I like this one. It's short and sweet and to the point. Tina from New Iberia says, it's my back door. Thank right? you, Tina. So thank you, Tina. And remember that you can always go online, restorethecoast.org, share your perspectives on what the coast means to you, and we might just read it one day on the air. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. So, Simone, um, you know, we talked about the dip. We talked about Morapa. What else has been going on in your world? I mean, you've been you've just been, well, been all we, over we, the place. We just had that conversation, right? We've been crazy busy lately. Mm-hmm. It certainly has not let up. Um, and we have a busy week right before we enter the Mardi Gras. We haven't debriefed from Queen Bess. Oh, goodness gracious. I know. No. That was a great... So Simone and I were on the road. Um, uh, Jacques was trapped in the car with me <laughs> for four hours. No, which is great. I, lo- I don't like driving that much, <laughs> so it was perfect. Um, but yeah, we got to go out to Queen Bess and see the mm-hmm. dedication of that awesome um, new bird island. I forgot we didn't talk about that. Queen Bess is so... It's impressive, but it's so much more impressive in person to mm-hmm. be out there and to see it. And I talked to Todd Baker from Wildlife and Fisheries this week, and they've already seen a return of some birds, um, which is even sooner than they expected. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really pumped. And actually, that was like a turning point for me because I, I, I didn't really feel a connection to Queen Bess, and it was amazing mm-hmm. to go out there. Yeah, you're literally pumped because pumped. they pumped... pumped sediment well they actually barged in sediment mm-hmm. from the river and then so they pumped it pumped barged it. it and repumped it yeah exactly and it's quite an a, a expansive mm-hmm. island um and just a really great story to see that um project restored you know obviously it's through funding from the oil spill settlement um and so important for birds which we know were so greatly impacted um from the oil spill so we hope to bring you more stories um uh reflecting on 10 years since the bp oil spill um and you know what that that time was like i think we're going to have some of our staff and some Mm -hmm. of our partners who were here at the time talk about that um, reflect on that that period but also talk about what's happened since so um, look for that and on Delta Dispatches but now we're excited to have a prior guest on the show Um, we've we've touched on the issue of um, archaeology and kind of some of the critical historic and culturally significant sites that exist along our coast and really how they're being impacted by um, coastal land loss before with Brian Ostahowski. So he's back and he's brought some friends, but we're going to talk to him first and kind of catch up. So welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Brian. So Brian, are we better than you remembered? Have we improved? Well, you said my name right. (laughs) (laughs) We had a whole lesson on that, if I remember correctly. People people get it wrong all the time. You guys guys got it. It's Cajun. Yep. We talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Did we Cajunify your name? We tend to do that sometimes. I so. do, but uh, just to touch on what you said, I, I don't dip. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Well, you, what, you have dipped and just don't like it? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a little it's a little much, but but I do like it spicy. So I don't know. Okay. Meet me halfway. 
Okay, I'm fair. I'm fair. We won't kick you out just yet, mostly because we got to cover a couple of segments. So, <laughs> so, Brian, for those who may have not caught the prior episode, um, tell us a little bit about your background and some of the work that you're doing here in Louisiana. Sure. Uh, I'm an archaeologist working in, uh, as many professional archaeologists do, in a field called what's called cultural resource management. And that's basically archaeology that's not in an academic field. And so we do projects that have federal permits and things like that. Um, we we do projects that have federal permits and things like that, um, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and because of that, uh, I worked on the BP oil spill project, the cleanup related to that, and I uh, worked on that from 2013 through th- 2016. And um, in doing that project, we uh, surveyed uh, all of the nooks and crannies that the coastline has in Louisiana, all the way to Florida. Uh, and I was on the archaeological team that was making sure that um, the oil spill cleanup wasn't impacting archaeological sites. But in the same time, we're also discovering new sites. And in doing that project, I realized that a lot of sites that people had uh, recorded 20, 30 years ago, or maybe even 10 years ago, were now like totally submerged, um, many times by like hundreds of meters offshore. It was like s- a sort of a big encounter uh, for me. Um, of course, people have known that in a Delta environment like what we live in down here in, in southern Louisiana, that uh, that the it's a very dynamic and that land loss does occur, but it was sort of shocking to see that all of these uh, archaeological sites that were important to understanding the history and prehistory of southern Louisiana were, uh, were now offshore and likely impacted by water or maybe even totally destroyed. So um, I've been sort of beating the drum for advocacy. I feel like we're still in the advocacy phase of, of that. Um, you know, archaeology, of course, you know, you have um, uh, living people are the, the most important asset we have, and we take care of them. But oftentimes the things that we think about the, la- uh, the least are the things that are underground, and that's what archaeology is, right? And um, so uh, sort of uh, my, myself and my colleagues and the project that we've done is sort of beating the drum to show that uh, that these archaeological sites do have a lot to contribute, and we're really happy to be able to pull off a project like this uh, and have it be interdisciplinary in nature, which I think is probably the coolest part of it. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about the project that you're working on, um, but can you help set kind of the stage for us in terms of like some of the cultures and societies um, that you know claim some of these sites and kind of what... Give us a, a, a perspective on Louisiana's coast and, and kind of the record that exists um, from some of these the peoples over time. Right. So uh, coastal Louisiana, uh, as, as we all know, uh, is has been created by the Mississippi River. And uh, these deltaic uh, lobes, these lobes that were created by uh, sediment-rich water, created these huge expanses uh, uh, here south, uh, basically south of Baton Rouge, you know, you're talking west all the way to Cameron Parish and to east to basically Slidell, uh, over thousands of years, about 6,000 years old. And um, we, uh, through archaeology, we've understood that, you know, when, when land was available, uh, Native Americans that were living here uh, would, uh, would inhabit those areas just, just for the same reasons that we do it today, because they are rich in resources. Uh, and uh, what's a lot of a lot of good archaeologists, a lot of great archaeologists uh, that came before myself and my colleagues have really uh, set a huge, uh, have set the standard of understanding the human environmental like co uh, like cohabitation, where you know certain lobes of the Mississippi and uh, Delta that were had become inactive, for example, became in- incredibly rich with with vegetation, and then um, you know then you have 
your land, sea, and air uh, animals that would come, and then uh, Native Americans and people would would go there and live there. Uh, and for you know, for the last like six thousand years, uh, folks have. Uh, we have a good archaeological record that, you know, when the Mississippi River would sort of move in different deltaic lobes, that we have different areas and it's sort of, uh, or we have different cultures that would come. So the oldest cultures would be available on the, uh, the oldest cultures would be available on the oldest land and the newest cultures are sort of around uh, on the newer land. And some of the work that we do, just from where we are located in New Orleans, is uh, is south of us in Plaquemines Parish. And so uh, the Plaquemines lobe, uh, Deltaic lobe, was sort of created around 1000 th- um, AD. And so some of the cultures that we're studying there, um, the Coles Creek and Plaquemines culture, uh, it, they were there from about 1200 AD to about 1500 AD, right about contact with uh, European uh, uh, settlers and people that were just exploring the area. Great. And um, we do want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the project. We're about to head into a break. But could you tell us a little bit more about where folks can learn more about your organization and this project specifically? So uh, we have a uh, well, we we have a uh, we have a video. uh, We have a movie that a film that was produced as part of this project. Uh, We have a website from that. I'll let Peyton tell you about that. But uh, I'm a part of the Louisiana Archaeological Society, which is LAArchaeologicalSociety.org. But also uh, one of the big, uh, big efforts that's going on right now um, with archaeologists here are uh, with Mark Reese at Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, and Tad Britt with uh, the National Park Service up in Natchitoches, where they're doing a systematic survey, and that's called the Mississippi River Archaeological Archaeological uh, Delta Archaeological Mi- Mitigation Project, or Mr. Dam Project. <laughs> and there is uh, there's going to be a lot coming out of that in the next few years, and we hope maybe we can come back and talk about that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, gotta love a good acronym. So we're about to head into a break. Um, we'll be right back with Brian Ostahowski and some of his colleagues on Delta Dispatches. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. And we are joined uh, with by Brian Astahowski. Um, we're talking about... Full house today! <laughs> coastal archaeology. <laughs> um, and we're also going to have his colleagues, um, Dr. Theodore Ted Marks, who's a faculty uh, member at, in the academic studio at New Orleans School for the Creative Arts, NOCA. And... Center for Creative Arts, <laughs> forgive me, um, and Peyton Finch, um, director of the film and a former former NOCA student. So welcome to Delta Dispatches. So uh, I guess we'll go to you. Is it okay if I call you Ted? Yeah. All right. Ted, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, let's see. So uh, I, uh, I've lived in New Orleans since I was about 18 years old. Um, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I came down here, went to Tulane, and met a Cajun girl. And, that's how every yeah, story goes, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. Like, <laughs> well, dip. Uh, she dips. She she dips. I, I I won't lie. Like I like it both ways. Um, but uh, I uh, I did my doctoral work um, actually primarily almost in like the opposite of southern Louisiana in um, uh, Namibia uh, on uh, like uh, roughly twenty thousand year old sites. So, um, but I came back here uh, because it was part of our wedding vows that we would come back to New Orleans. <laughs> um, and 
Uh, I met Brian, and uh, we started our little group, uh, GCRI, and uh, we've been pursuing... I'm sorry. Closer. Oh, Closer. I'm sorry. We need to um, hear you, Ted. <laughs> we started uh, our uh, little nonprofit, uh, GCRI, to uh, pursue grants for, um, uh, for research and education around uh, some of the issues that you know, we're talking about here, about uh, archaeology. And um, I'm also, like, like I said, I've, I've been a faculty member uh, at NOCA for the past uh, about five years, where I teach math and science in there, so like math and, and earth and environmental sciences. Awesome. And we definitely want to talk about NOCA's involvement and students particularly, but I want to introduce Peyton Finch, who actually went to NOCA and directed the film um, about Bay Adams. So welcome to Delta Dispatches. Peyton, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, I'm Peyton Finch. I'm 18 years old. I go to Loyola University, New Orleans, and I'm majoring in graphic design. Um, I was actually uh, Dr. Marx's student at NOCA. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Um, and how cool that you got to work on this project in high school yeah. and have this credit, like going into <laughs> college. I know a lot of filmmakers are probably like, wow, I didn't start my first film till well after. So, um, so Brian, tell us a little bit about the Bay Adams project and how it came about and kind of what you're seeking to do with it. So, um, myself, uh, Ted and our third collaborator who, who couldn't make it here today, uh, who's because he's a faculty member at, uh, Florida State University. So y'all left him working, just to be clear. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I can call in. I was like, we're good. We got three. <laughs> I'll come in for the weekend. No, but his name is uh, Jay or Meta. And uh, we uh, we wanted to uh, look at sites and, and try to do research at sites that were threatened by uh, by coastal land loss. Uh, Bay Adams, I had been going out there for a while, and or the Adams Bay site. And it's, um, it's located uh, just outside of the town of Empire. And uh, it's... Uh, about a 20-minute boat ride from uh, the marina in Empire. And uh, we knew that it was eminently uh, being uh, eaten away, for lack of a better term, uh, by, uh, you know, by, the, by whether it's land loss or it's erosion or it's a combination of all of it, but it was actively being decayed. Uh, and I knew this because I visited it. It was part of the BP project, mm -hmm. and it was buffered by, like, 30 feet of Marsh Island. And in just, like, six years... All of that had been eaten away, and the water was sort of laterally eating it the way Pac-Man would. And what this site is, is this site is a group of three earthen mounds that were created by Native Americans associated with what we call the Plaquemines culture. And uh, each of the mounds were like 50, or the, the bigger mound, the mound that we did our study on, was like 50 meters by like 30 meters. It's about five feet tall, right? So it was really large, and folks would have lived on top of this and, and also had like a plaza in the middle. But this was a group of three, and one of the mounds was totally gone. And this, the main mound, what we call Mound 1, was like half eaten. So um, we decided to go for a National Geographic grant to look at, we wanted to look at it holistically. And what I mean by that is we wanted to look at the vegetation. We want to look at why is this eroding so fast? Is it because of the health of the island? Like are there um, environmental factors such as, you know, is it the is it not just the wave action? Is it related to the health of the vegetation there? Is it like the Russo cane? And we have these invasive species of uh, like the scales that are mm -hmm. out there as well. We want to see is, are they sick? So we also had someone uh, named Joey Bro from Louisiana um, LSU's um, agriculture department. He came out there and we did a vegetation survey and it looked like everything was healthy, but, but nonetheless, the site was actively being eroded and it was being eroded by like something like, I think Ted, and the way we measure this is by, 
to points along a shoreline with like a GPS unit. It's like a meter, like a year or something yeah, like that. R- roughly about that. Yeah. That so seems like a pretty significant thing to eat away at, too, right? I mean, I mean, this is like taking a bite of an elephant. I mean, I this mean, yeah, isn't a delicate shoreline either. It's like right? a, I mean, ima- imagine a very small pyramid, and it's it's just chopping it in half. I mean, just a, a huge amount. It's right, and there's tons of information out of every bite that's taken, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, you know, we. We were able to see through what they call stratigraphy, or sort of the the, the, the profile of all the soils. We're able to see living surfaces where folks would have lived on, and there's like discarded items like shells and other bones, like animal bones. So you could tell like what people were eating and things like that. Um, and from that, um, one of the good things we were able to do is we were able to take um, radiocarbon samples. I'm sure everybody who knows a little bit about archaeology has heard of radiocarbon samples, and uh, we were able to date this mound site uh, to like 1430 to 1450, and that was really important for us to do that, um, if only to demonstrate that these sites that are sort of on the edge and being destroyed still have something to contribute. And, and Ted, tell us, how does NOCA fit in, and, and what made you want to get involved in this project? Um, well, so uh, NOCA, at the academic, excuse me, at the academic studio, um, we really, our focus on teaching is really on multidisciplinary, like project-based learning, and, and bringing together in the, the arts in there, too. Um, and when we wrote this grant, like it almost, I, I almost, it never occurred to me not to do this, you know, to, um, to bring some students in here because I mean, it was, I, I thought it was just like a fantastic opportunity to get students out there doing real scientific work in the field, hands on. Um, and like, I mean, archaeology is just, it's a really fantastic way f- to teach science, you know, because it's not just bringing in, um, it's not just like like listening to a lecture, reading a book, and stuff like that. You go out there and you're getting your hands dirty, and you're, t- you're taking measurements, you're making maps, um, you're you're learning about soil science, about uh, ecology, botany, um, geology, geomorphology, all these different topics that come together in the study of a site. And so um, we were able to bring out six students uh, from the media arts department uh, over in the sorry, summer before last, um, and they were able to participate in everything that we were doing out there, collecting samples, making maps, um, drawing profiles, all, all the things that we do, I mean, collecting vegetation samples. Uh, we were also able to um, get some of the samples back, and we were able to use it in the classroom um, as part of a, uh, a joint program with the University of New Orleans uh, for dual enrollment, so that the uh, mm-hmm. kids could earn college credit, and they, uh, analyzed the samples in the lab at, at NOCA. They identified different kinds of plants. Um, we did a technique called flotation, where you take soil samples <coughs> excuse me, and uh, put them in water, basically, stir them up, and you can get like small botanical remains out of there. So um, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, the kids got a lot out of it. And yeah. I was only gonna say, you know, one of my favorite questions on Delta Dispatches is like, did little Brian always want to do this, right? <laughs> Digging the dirt for things, or little Ted, right? I did. But I, mean, but I, I, was five years but I ask that all the time because, I mean, but what you're saying too is that, you know, you're also telling kids that I have a job doing this, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. that's okay if you want to be this, right? That, like, when you grow up, how do you know that you could be, like, they're really doing, they need archaeologists, you know, yeah. like archaeologists yeah. now, like those kinds of things. But that's important, right? And the pipeline yeah. that you're in is really important yeah, to that absolutely. discussion, too. So, yeah. 
And how did they respond? I mean, being out there, I'm sure many of them probably haven't hadn't been to a place like that before and, and do that done that kind I mean, of work. I've never been to a I place mean, you, like you that. <laughs> Peyton could probably speak to that better than I could, but um, it did really, I mean, I think, like, particularly also, like, we teach a lot about the master plan in class, um, and, and I mean, seeing the stuff out there is, is, is a whole different experience, though. I mean, when you see the diversion projects and, and the construction around there, um, and what's happening, and getting actually to meet fishermen and, and boat captains and stuff like that, and people who um, have experienced, like, how the landscape has changed. I mean, it just brings a whole new perspective for, and, and I saw that in, in kids and in their responses there. That, I mean, that they just, I mean, a lot of these kids, they're, 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 they've never really been so far south, you know, and like, and they're from New Orleans, Mandeville, Metairie, stuff like that. So, um, I, I mean, again, Peyton could probably say more, but like, I, I, I think they got a lot out of it um, in terms of appreciation of what's out there and what's threatened. And when we come back, we we do want to get your perspective, Peyton, and really talk about the film and kind of what inspired it. Um, really quick, though, before we go to break, um, I know people can actually go online and see the film and, and also to learn more about the project. So what's the website for the film? Um, www.adamsbayproject.org. Awesome. where you can access the website. Great. Great. Well, we will be right back with our guests um, on Delta Dispatches. As a reminder, you can listen to us anytime on deltadispatches.org. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And uh, this week's Coastal Stat uh, comes from AdamsBayProject.org, the, the website that we're talking about today. Um, and the stat is, over the past three decades, Plaquemines Parish has lost a total of two archaeological sites each year. At this rate, all of the known sites will be lost by 2031. And, I mean... That is a sobering stat. Um, it, you know, is a, a reminder of the urgency of which, you know, we're all working to restore and protect as much of our coast as possible. But I guess for you, Brian, it's also um, a reminder of how important it is to document these sites and kind of do what we can to, to understand where they are, what they are. Yes, that's correct. Um, especially these, um, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to hear that in the parishes where you have the most land loss, the most number of terrestrial archeological sites are, are also endangered. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're working back from, from a number where, um, you know, so, so one thing about that statistic is that there are always going to be archeological sites that are historic in nature that are like protected by the Mississippi levee, but all those sites that are sort of open air that are outside the levee system, those are sort of doomed unless we do something about it. So I think that a project like this that highlights, um, a site, what's happening to a site, and what it can provide to our history uh, of the area is 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 doubly important now. Mm-hmm. And Peyton, I want to talk to you because I mean, you yeah. were out there documenting it, and and you were as a high school student, yeah. correct, doing this work. So, what tell us what that experience was like for you? Um, as a junior in high school, getting the chance to feel like not only a scientist but also a real filmmaker is like such a rare opportunity. So. Um, yeah, it was a very gratifying experience in both regards. I feel like I learned a lot, both in the archaeological side and also making a film in the field. So before this, w- did you know a lot about land loss? Did you kind of feel connected to that, or did this kind of get you over that? Um, I 
was familiar with it just from being here, but I think I learned way more than I expected to from being in this project, just being involved. Um, archaeological fieldwork was not something I knew anything <laughs> about before I you know, joined this project, so that was really cool. So little Peyton wanted to be a filmmaker, a graphic artist, or... Um, yeah, a documentary filmmaker. Very cool. Awesome. And um, in terms of, like, getting the film and kind of taking the story of this place and kind of what's happening, tell us a little bit about your process and kind of what went into um, making the film as you did. Yeah, we started pre-production, I think, in late April of 2018. So we were working on it for a while. But me and my peers, there were an additional five... Um, we all worked together to sort of put together what we wanted to come out of this creatively because they gave us complete creative freedom over what we wanted to do. So we decided that we wanted to do a website and a documentary. Um, so we all contributed in different ways to both of those efforts. Um, yeah, we had like a mood board that we went through and then, you know, went back and forth with like a lot of different ideas. Um, I watched a lot of nature documentaries just to get an idea of what kind of shots and like editing I wanted to have in mind. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a learning process. Yeah, well, it's a very powerful film and website. I mean, Thank I learned you. so much. Um, you know, I had some understanding of the site, but you learned so much more um, watching the film and looking at the website. Um, and we were talking about this during the break, but just how powerful films are mm -hmm. as a way to engage people and communicate some of these really complex and challenging issues. Mm -hmm. So um, one more time, where can people go to, to learn about the film and see it? Um, to learn more just about the Adams Bay site, but then also the film. It's all on www.adamsbayproject.org. Awesome. And yeah. I think I read in your bio that you're also working on a book about invasive species yes. in Louisiana. <laughs> so tell yeah. us about that. Um, so I've been working on that since I was was 16. Um, so you, did, you started as a project for my Yeah, it's oh, <laughs> it was actually Okay, Dad, all right, enough credit. Okay, <laughs> um, it started off... No, as, oh, God, no, it's 100%. <laughs> <laughs> it started off as, like, an assignment, and then um, I was actually chosen to present the very first draft of it to the school, and then I was like, you know, after doing that, I realized that there was no resource like that available. Like, hey, man, I did all the work. digestible... <laughs> you know, for anyone my age to learn about invasive species, it's mostly just scientific papers. So I wanted to create something that was digestible, but also like visually interesting. So I've been working on that for a while. Favorite invasive species? Oh, I don't, I wouldn't say favorite, <laughs> but most visually appealing. Um, I don't know. I like the Chinese tallow. I like uh, the water hyacinth. I guess. Yeah, that was. That's yeah. got a if weird, to neat pick, story too. Yeah. yeah, that they brought it here for the fair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Can I just say though? I mean, because this really just speaks to who Peyton is as a person, though. I mean, she, this was this was it was a class assignment, and she um, she came back with this this book that was just incredible. I mean, it was it was so far above and beyond what we would have ever expected a high school student to produce. Um, I mean, we, we, we were like, you, you have to publish this. Like, you absolutely have. Because, again, it, I mean, like she said, it, it's never been done before. And, it, and it's beautiful on top of that. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just gushing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's expecting the forward to be dedicated to him, too, by the way. Yes, no. indeed. <laughs> well, Peyton, um, I mean, we've had other high school students on before yeah. um, who have had some involvement in, co in the coast. And I think one thing that's just really been striking to me um, in doing this work is I feel like, you know, people of your generation and younger, they have so much more understanding and um, 
passion for Louisiana's coast and these issues than I think I ever did in high school or knowledge, certainly. Um, So, I mean, do you find that with your generation that, like, I mean, living in Louisiana, growing up here, going to high school, that, you know, issues of the coast are more resonant with you all? Um, And and not to speak in broad brushes, but I guess I just did. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I do think so. It is actually something that I talk about a lot with other people that are my age. So, you know, I think so. (laughs) I think one of the cool things, too... um, you know, you can be if you want, but you don't have to just be a scientist to, to work Absolutely. in these issues, right? Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Um, and Ted, is this something that you think NOCA will continue to pursue in terms of doing this sort of environmental coastal education for students? Yeah, I hope so. Um, we are uh, we're planning to reapply for National Geographic money, um, and, uh, and NOCA has been very supportive of us uh, through this entire uh, thing, and so... Yeah, I mean, we, we would absolutely like to continue doing this. There are a lot of other sites out there uh, that absolutely need to be studied, looked at, documented, um, and it's urgent right yeah. now. So, yeah, and I mean, there's a, I, we can get as many students out there as possible to learn and appreciate all the stuff out there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being on. I guess time for a fun question to end the show. Um, so, I don't know. I, it's going to be about that time. I know Simone's getting her throws ready to ride in Iris, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question is neutral ground side or uh, sidewalk side? I'm, I'm biased, totally biased. Uh, uh, she won't tell you what side she's going to be on. Uh, uh, well, I'm usually in the parades. So. Uh, <laughs> good answer. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's in a the good parade. answer. <laughs> Not neutral. What about you, babe? Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, um, uh, Ted and I are actually in a Mardi Gras crew together, so we we are y'all rolling Elvi? No, uh. no, we're uh, we're part of the Lucha crew. Oh. We're like, uh, oh yeah, yeah the fighters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So we're in those parades, um, but I would be lying to you if I said I'm not. I'm not a neutral ground kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, you got the kind of got the space. Is and that the look from a sidewalk person? No, I'm a neutral. Oh, ground. good. Yeah, good, I, made, good. I made the switch about two years ago. It was a big deal. Never I going had, back. I had to lobby. It absolutely makes a huge difference. It's great. It is, I'm, it is. I'm wish every side is closer to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Brian's right. I mean, the the that you can spread out and the, oh man, the sidewalks like uh, you know, um, but it is it is absolutely my favorite time of year. Um, my little girl thinks that we should have a king cake in our house every single day. Like, if there's not one, she doesn't understand that. Like, why Why not? You only have so many weeks to have a king cake. It's like Girl Scout cookies. Like, must have king cake. So it's by far my favorite time of year. How I about agree, you? I agree with Miss P. I think uh, it's a shame that I have not had a piece of Randazzo's king cake yet. And in fact, <laughs> well, don't I, admit that, yeah. I know. I need a good I will say, growing one. up in Homa, we didn't have neutral ground side or sidewalk side. We had mall or Bayou side, <laughs> all and um, and well, I think it, I know what side you're. Yeah, you're you a mall could, side, right? You could totally catch the parade twice if you hurried up from the start of the parade <laughs> to the end of the parade, and so that was growing up in home was like. <laughs> so you were both mall oh, yeah, and I'm Bayou. Definitely caught it twice okay. too, by the way. Yes, indeed. So well, awesome. Um, well, thank you to all of our guests for being on. Stacy Ortega with Louisiana Wildlife Federation. Congratulations to the Louisiana Wildlife Federation, Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, and all the people who are going to benefit 
benefit from um, the Morpah Swamp being protected and restored. And thanks so much, Brian, Ted, and Peyton for coming on and talking about the Bay Adams Project. It's certainly a very important project and worth checking out. And one more time, the website for that is www.adamsbayproject.org. Awesome. Well, we'll certainly want to have you back and hear about what else is going on. I know there's no shortage of things to talk about as relates to this topic. So thank you for joining. Um, We will be back next week um, with some more great guests talking about ways to get out in our coast and enjoy it um, while learning about it. So some ecotourism friends are going to be joining us. The Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress that has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. Hi, this is Kate Delaney from America Tonight. The show kicks on at midnight, and I'm loving the overwhelming support in New Orleans. What a group of fantastic listeners here on WGSO 990 AM. Join me every morning to catch up on what I call the buzz in your backyard and mine. You'll hear some of the most interesting people on the planet from the world of business, politics, sports, and, well, just intriguing people with a story to tell. If you're around, give us a call. Don't worry, I'll spit out the number plenty of times on the air. Let's agree to meet at midnight right